So hello and welcome to Physician Spotlight, which is a forum to learn uh, more about outstanding senior leaders, young rising stars and international colleagues in the field of nutrition to discuss really important topics and ideas. And with the help of Aspen, uh, we are bringing these videos to you today. So I'm your host, Dr. Lindsay Russell, and our guest today is Dr. John Alverdi. Uh, Dr. Alverdi is the Executive Vice Chair, uh, Department of Surgery at U Chicago in Medicine, and is well known for complex minimally invasive gastrointestinal surgical procedures, um, and he's been a superstar in his field. Uh, he's an avid clinician scientist with numerous accolades before in the past, and no most notably, he's the winner of the 2023 George Blackburn Award for Mentorship at Aspen, and his work really includes uh, connecting the human microbiome and post-surgical leaks and infections, and I'm so happy to, and excited to have Dr. Alverdi today, and thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Dr. Russell. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm honored to be the George Blackburn uh, mentee, mentor. Uh, it's, uh, uh, he was a, is a great man and uh, has done so much for our field. Uh, I'm truly honored. Yeah, and that's, um, I'm honored as well as speaking with you is, and to really um, speak about that uh, highlight uh, in your career. And I guess the first question I always like to start with is, you know, your journey in uh, relating uh, nutrition into your practice uh, as a surgeon. Can you comment on about how you found your interest in nutrition and how that's influenced your career? Sure. Uh, you know, uh, I spent um, my research time at the University of California, San Francisco with uh, Dr. George Sheldon, who um, was a surgeon scientist and a pioneer in nutrition. He ran the nutritional support service at uh, San Francisco General Hospital. So, um, you know, we would uh, address issues of nutrition. Uh, we had a fully functioning laboratory where we fed TPN to, uh, to rats long-term over a two-week period. Uh, we would round on all the patients and discuss them. And so it became very clear to me that, you know, without nutrition, nutritional support, most of those patients after they had uh, undergone, um, you know, significant trauma, uh, they wouldn't be alive without nutritional support afterward, be it enteral or parenteral. So it became a focus of mine. And uh, I, I began to study how gut bacteria would be able to thrive in such an environment. I think that's truly wonderful. And I think, thank you for sharing your experience. And, you know, that touches on, you know, the role of mentorship in your career. And, and I can imagine working with such a leader in uh, clinician scientist and, and nutrition, how has that influenced your uh, guide to see the light of nutrition and, and therapy? How has really mentorship helped you along the way or, or even becoming a mentor yourself uh, at this stage of your career? Yeah, I, I think it's very important, but you know, I, I just remember those figures, Dr. Doug Wilmore, um, you know, obviously um, uh, Dr. George Blackburn, uh, figures such as uh, Dr. George Sheldon, uh, you know, and of course the, the father of, of TPN. Um, uh, th these figures were, were inspirational figures. Not only were they operative surgeons, um, and clinicians, but they also, um, you know, inspired us to study nutrition as a key uh, measure to be able to take care of patients. In other words, 
it's one thing to think about closing a hole in the aorta or patching something up. It's another thing to think about how you're going to feed this person whose gastrointestinal tract is sort of on hold for the moment till they heal. And that, that really became the challenge, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, when Dr. Dudrick, Stan Dudrick, you know, fed that beagle and presented that work, we're all just stunned that uh, intravenous uh, nutrition would be available to our patients. So, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to practice, uh, train in the 80s and practice in the early 90s to see that sort of change in many ways. And then there were nutrients that came in and came out that's still happening, you know. First it was glutamine, then it was short chain fatty acids. Yes, no, you know, and uh, it, it continues. But, you know, basically what's, what's striking is you need to feed Mm-hmm. And and nourish, and if you can do that while you're taking care of the patient, you can keep them alive and get them to recover. Yeah, no, that's certainly um, great to hear, and I think I hope you appreciate that. You know, as a young professional as well, I certainly find you very inspiring, especially in the field of you know being a clinician scientist. I think as you mentioned, you know, training in the time where you had these giants and inspirational. How do you uh, approach, you know, continuing that legacy of a, a true clinician scientist, or how do you inspire the younger generation to kind of get involved or the challenges they may face um, to become a true clinician scientist? Yeah, I think I think for me, you know, it, it often all comes down to time and money. Mm-hmm. You have to design your career or your job so that you have time to actually uh, write grants, and then you have to be creative enough to be able to obtain them and keep them, um, you know, refunded through the course of time, uh, so that you have the money and the time to do this. And then, you know, you have to ask important questions. I mean, it, it's it's you can't ask. Somebody said to me once, you know, the, the best science is that which is the methods are elegant and the results are unobvious. You know, so it, you 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 have to ask questions that really are compelling in the field. You can't just say, for example, you know, older, sicker patients do worse than younger, healthy people with less sort of uh, end stage disease. That that's too obvious, uh, and it's very descriptive. You have to dig deep into the weeds, and often it's the molecular weeds. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, that brings up another thing that comes to mind. You know, we speak about nutrition being so multidisciplinary in the clinical sense. You know, we have surgeons, nutrition clinicians, um, general surgery, you know, you name it, um, PT, OT. Um, how do you find, do you find the same thing in the field of the research as well? When you look at things like metabolomics and other uh, microbiome work. Uh, can you touch on your experience with kind of multidisciplinary teams in that sense? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, I worked at a time where, you know, I was doing my own ELISA assays, you know, literally pipetting into a multi-well plate to a time now where we can measure anything and we outsource most of our measurements. Mm-hmm. So when we do metabolomics, we get samples either plasma or fluids, and they get sent to the metabolomics facility. And then you'll get terabytes of data that you have to harness, put into graphical form so you can actually interpret them. Mm -hmm. 
And the same is with any um, samples where you do proteomics, for example, in the blood or in fluids, or if you do sequencing, genetic sequencing, either for host genes or for microbial genes, you know, if you're studying the microbiome. And if you can't hand off those samples, get them properly analyzed with all the right internal controls, and then work with somebody and be fully intellectually engaged with them, you can't actually ask important questions. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of studies or I review a lot of studies where, uh, you know, I see clinicians saying, I'm, I have these two disparate groups of patients. I'm just going to hand you samples. Now, analyze them, put them into graphic form and write me a paper. And that doesn't work. And so now, even more important than before, it's asking the right question. Mm. Because you can measure anything now. You know, before it was like, I have an assay for IL-6. So nobody can measure IL-6 but me. And then, you know, 100 papers come out looking at IL-6 and 100 different uh, clinical scenarios. And it's okay. But now anybody can measure anything. And so now it's all about the question. And there's still a lot of important questions left for gastroenterologists, for nutritionists, for physical therapists, like you said, uh, for pharmacists, uh, and for surgeons. I think that's really great and really kind of profound too. You know, I think it's important to get back to the basics of what is the question and interpret. Um, so I guess my final question um, is, do you have any really words of wisdom uh, for early career healthcare professionals or researchers in the field of nutrition? I know, you know you're winning this, uh, you know, mentorship <laughs> award. And I think if you could have a little tidbit for our audience members today, would be great. Sure. That's that's a great question, and it's it's very hard to know because you know um, I always say that at least the advice I give to people is when you're looking for your first job and nobody tells you how to look for your first job. It's like you go to college, then you go to medical school, then you go this long training and some specialty training, and you just kind of want to finish <laughs> and you know you know live your life. And at the same time, you know, there's family issues, partners, spouses, then there's financial issues. And you take a job that maybe has a location that is mutually beneficial to you and your family or your spouse or your kids or whatever. And it meets your career goals, but it doesn't necessarily, right, meet your research goals. And, you know, can you have it all? Say, I want to work in Chicago at a university place. I want protected time for research. By the way, I want a clinician's salary. And, you know, I got to pay off my school debt. And they're like, good luck with that. <laughs> so I always say, you know, that first job, the, what we call the CLO, the contingency letter of offer. Mm. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I even have to advise my daughter on this is how do you say, how do you have the inner directedness and the confidence to say, this is what I want to make. This is how much time I want protected. This is where I want to work. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that and still be attractive for the job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, so what's my advice? If you're really committed 
to a becoming a clinician scientist. It doesn't matter what your specialty is, GI, you know, internal medicine and, and nutrition uh, or, or surgery. You need to put yourself in a place where you can actually pull it off. That's the single most important thing, at least to me. Um, can you get a job that will let you do the things you want to do? Mm -hmm. And then you've got to write grants and get the money and create the workforce to do it because you can't take care of patients and then run into the lab and start pipetting or go to your computer and start doing, it's just, it's too much. You need help, just as you mentioned to me. You need help analyzing the, the uh, samples. You need help interpreting the samples. You need, um, you know, if you're a basic scientist like me, you need students and residents at the bench operating on the mice, sacrificing the mice, sending the samples, and then you have to have lab meeting. And it's a lot these days because, you know, you've got... I'm saying you, because you're the younger generation, you train longer mm -hmm. and in much more difficult circumstances, I think, than we do. You're older, you're, you're in greater debt, um, and the job market's not the same. So I think there are more challenges that we have to start thinking about. But one thing I always look at is there was a lot of research that was sort of superfluous, mm -hmm. superfluous to clinical practice. That was more. Um, it was it was produced and generated as a as a career building event more than it was to apply to patients. And I think your generation and the younger generations want to do work that has a clinical impact. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. That yeah. I I totally uh, understand where you're getting <laughs> at, and I think it's very helpful advice, especially you know, what you've seen, you know, with the changing practices of clinical practice demands and, and laboratory work as well. So I think that's, that's very, very valuable. Thank you so much. Um, no well, worries. I really appreciate you taking the time to joining us today and really thank Aspen for their partnership to continue with this program and our audience for uh, taking time to listen today. And I really hope everyone has a great day. All right. Thank you, Dr. Russell. Thank you. So much.